We are up to the bracha of Kedusha. And I want to just say that we're dedicating today's learning, including the shiur, to the memory of Eugene M. Fisher. Uh, this is his yortzeit, or was, Tu Bishvat, um, who is the grandfather of Ezra Fisher from year 15. Aryeh, Dorit, Liat, Kira, Nili, and Ezra. Okay. Um, so... What is Kedusha? And why is the third bracha in the Shemona Esrei the bracha of Kedusha? Now we said that the first bracha is the bracha of Avot and Avraham. Okay? It's Magen Avraham. Avraham was the only individual who had no role model. It's do it all on his own. On a certain level, we need to find our relationship with Hashem independent of the people that are role models in ourselves. Um, And we talked about Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov as being three parts of any human experience. And we talked about the fact that Avram is chesed in action and we're in awe of the things that Hashem does in this world. And then we talked about the second bracha, which is Yitzhak. And Yitzhak is the antithesis of Avram in a certain way. Um, He is gvura. When Avram goes out into the world, Yitzhak retracts. When Avram does, Yitzchak surrenders. And the second bracha is all the different things that are all about surrendering to the will of Hashem. And we're in awe of the fact that Hashem runs the world, and we surrender to that. You know, fighting in Aza, hostages, it's all, it's all beyond. And we hope that things will work out well. And Yaakov, Yaakov is Kedusha. Yaakov is Tiferet. And Tiferet is really meant to be a synthesis of Avram on the one side and Yitzchak on the other, right? If you've ever looked, you ever go to like Davin, Minchamarev in a small shtibel and by the lectern, I think a shtender is a lectern, right? <laughs> they have a, um, they have one of these Kabbalistic like Yadayim, you ever see those? Yeah. It says, Shibiti Hashem, that's a different sphere out in river. You'll always look, Chesed is on the right, Kvur is on the left, Tiferet in the middle, Right? Chesed is Yad Hashem, it's what Hashem does in the world. Okay? Gvura is receiving, it's the left hand, it's, it's what we receive from Hashem in the world. And Yaakov is somehow the synthesis, the balance between the two of them. I take that initial spark, that awesome energy of beginning. Avram comes into the world, he comes like a storm into the world. I put in the long work of Yitzchak, right? The, the, the long pregnancy to bring that initial moment to fruition. And then Yaakov, Yaakov is where it all comes together and the Jewish people is born. Yaakov is labor. And it always gets harder before it gets better. Right? The woman goes into labor, you think it's all over. And then in one instant, when it looks like it's all over, everything turns around. And the baby is born, and they're passing out cigars. Well, they don't pass out cigars anymore. I don't know what they do. And Yishtabach Shema. So why is that Kedusha? Right? Atakadosh Shachaka Kadosh, right? What is the what is the what is the language of the bracha? Right? Why will Kedoshim praise you all day? Why won't they do chesed for you all day? What, what is that about? Okay? What does the word sela mean? It's an important word. And although we're gonna get into that when we get to Modim and Vial Kulam, where it's important, right? Um, it's worthy of mention here. And lastly, Brochat Hashem, or um, why that switch? Why is it sometimes Kel and sometimes Melech? Right? Why this short bracha and what's Kedusha about? 
So, on the one hand, we already said, and I'm just going to remind everybody here, um, we spoke about the fact that Kedusha is really two things. L'chaim, That's good. There we go. Right? Okay. Um, on the one hand, did I make a bracha before? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Because it's going to be a super blessed day. Okay. I was like, something's wrong with that. Okay. Um, I just have a question on that. Yeah. As, as the Rosh Hashiva, are we supposed to tell you if something like that happens? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, Why wouldn't you tell me? Oh, is that what that look was? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> of course you should tell me. <laughs> Oh, you think because I say I'm so from now, I'm so from, I mean, two brachas for the same type of brachas now. You're, you're correct that whenever you tell anyone that they made a mistake, you, you should be delicate about how you say it. Right. But yeah, what I wouldn't want you to tell me I made a mistake, chas v'shalom, bracha v'atala. Okay, right? I'm going to get him now, might as well finish the night, okay. Um, all right. So, so let's, let's talk about what is Kedusha? Right, so we said that everything that relates to Kedusha. As Rashi says, Hevu prushim in arayot, right? I have all these licentious behaviors at the end of Parshat, uh, what is it? Uh, right? And then all of a sudden, the next topic is Kedoshim to you. So Rashi says, Lama nispacha, why is the Parsha of Arayos of all these licentious behaviors, don't sleep with a dog, don't sleep with your sister, all these types of things, right? Why is that connected to Kedoshim to you? Because Kedusha is separating yourself from Arayos. Separating yourself from, from putting yourself beyond the things that bring us down. Okay, and we got into that, had a long discussion about this at some point this year, and said that when I limit myself to one, I can discover unlimitedness within that one, and that's part of what Kedusha is. Right? But, but what is, but, but that means that Kedusha is the unlimitedness. Who is the ultimate unlimitedness? Right? Now, this is interesting. Who else can be Kadosh besides the Kosh Baruch? Me. In fact, our mandate is Kadoshim to you. Separate yourself in order, limit yourself, because you are capable of unlimitedness. Now, the fact that I'm capable of unlimitedness means imitatio Dei, that I can imitate the divine. In that aspect, I imitate Hashem. Right? Okay? So, so, why is that Yaakov? And why, what does it mean that Yaakov is the synthesis of Avram and, and Yitzchak? So let's think about this. On the one hand, I'm going to bring a Yaakov knows, Yaakov knows when to pull back. Yaakov knows when to surrender to the reality that he can't change. And I'll give you an example. Okay. Rachel has no children. And this is an extremely painful experience. Like we read this in Tanakh. We don't get how difficult this is. But, but if you, there was a, a, a student that I had who got married, a wonderful girl, um, and they couldn't have children. And it was five or six years. And they lived in a, in a, in a yeshuv bati, which made it even more difficult because everybody around them was having children. And I remember once I got together with them and I was talking to her and she was really struggling with this and they tried this in vitro and that in vitro and everything else and you could see the tears welling up in her eyes. Like this isn't just something that like, oh, I hope to have a child. It's every time there's a simchat bat and a shalom zachar and a bris and every time you're walking down the street 
and your friend who got married a year and a half after you has two children now. It breaks you. That is Rachel. When it says Rachel mevaka albanea, most people understand that to mean that Rachel cries for her children, Amisha, that are going into Galut, and that's true. That's the context. But the deeper idea there is Rachel was crying for her children her whole life. She was desperate to have children her whole life, and she cried in silence. And Yaakov feels that pain. And so finally, Reuven one day, he also has pain. He has pain for his mother, because his mother is not the beloved wife, and that's the whole story. So one day, Reuven finds some dudaim in the field. Dudaim are translated as mandrakes, some sort of a plant which is an aphrodisiac. It, 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 it uh, helps you to have children. It's like the, the, the early version of in vitro, okay? Fertilization, or whatever it might be. And Rachel sees that he's walking with these mandrakes, which I guess must have been rare to find in that season. So she really wants those mandrakes because she needs to have children, right? So she makes a deal, right, with, um, with Leah. And Leah, right, you know, <coughs> Leah says, you know, you took my husband and now you want to take my mandrakes? Right, do you remember this story vaguely, right? And Rachel makes a deal with her. It's a crazy deal. He says, okay, I'll do it. You give me the mandrakes, and I'll let you have my husband for the night. It's kind of a funny deal. This is Rachel Imenu. Take my husband and two goats. Like, it's a strange thing to say, right? But given the context of Rachel and Leah and Sadiq Tzidkaniot, etc., that's what they do. There's a moment in that Pasuk that's mind-boggling. Leah says to Rachel, you took my husband. In other words, you're the favorite. Now you want to take my man? You took my husband? Seriously? Rachel is in love with Yaakov. Yaakov is in love with Rachel. I'm oversimplifying something much deeper, but okay. And then what happens? Love and switches the wives, right? Yeah. Remember that story? Okay. How does Yaakov not figure out it's Leah? Because Rachel, according to the Medrash, gives Yaakov the simanim. There's all these little, <coughs> little isms that only you know with the one you love. And Leah won't know that. So Rachel doesn't want her sister to be embarrassed because it would be terribly embarrassing and the sister has no choice because Lavan says this is what's happening. So she gives her the little secrets so that Leah won't be found out and she can consummate the marriage and be married to Yaakov. That's unbelievable. And Rachel never says a word. And now Leah is coming back to her and saying, you took my... You took my so what should Rachel... You took my... I took your... Seriously? And Rachel doesn't say a word. Chazal say for that moment of silence, the base of Mikdash is born, is, 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 is merited to be in the, in the, in the, in the chalka, in the portion of, of the children of, of Rachel. So Rachel understands silence. Yaakov also understands silence, because Rachel is the, is the aim, is, the, is the, one of the imaot that's associated with Yaakov, right? You know that there are, how many avot, how many imaot are there? How many avot are there? They're really supposed to be four. How do you know this was before? Where do you see that? Asaph. Correct. Who was supposed to be the wife of Asaph? Leah. And that's why Leah cries. And because Yaakov tricks Asaph, again, this is all deeper and Tzachemes and whatever, but because Yaakov tricks Asaph, and therefore Asaph isn't in the zone, so now Yaakov has to take responsibility for Leah sells Rachel. There's something mystical going on here on a deeper level. Hashem is fixing what was messed up, but okay. So Yaakov, when Rachel dies... Right? So he puts, it's not clear, but he puts either his bed in the tent of Bilhah 
who is Shkais, who is a surrogate of Rachel, or they bring Bila's bed into Yaakov's tent, whatever it might be, and Reuven is really upset because now that Rachel is dead, now his mother should be the primary wife. So he does something. Now, anybody who thinks, like Vaishkav Reuven at, at Bilha, anybody who thinks that he slept with Bilha doesn't understand the story. That's what Chazal say. You could debate that topic as much as you want. But let's say Chazal is correct. You can imagine my opinion on the matter. You don't do that. You don't, you don't move your father's bed. That's just way beyond inappropriate. It's like going into your parents' room and switching the sheets. You just you wouldn't do that. So, so Vayishma Yaakov, and Yaakov hears what happens to Ruvain. Now that Pasuk, something very strange happens in that Pasuk. That Pasuk ends in the middle of the Pasuk. There's an Etanachda. Some of you lame. So an Etanachda, that's the upside down belt, is the middle of a Pasuk. That's not the end of a Pasuk, it's an Etanachda. That's the end of a Pasuk, right? So the Etnachta is in the middle of a Pasuk, and then the Pasuk stops. And there's, and there's a break in the line in the Torah. And then the next Pasuk is Vayubnei Yaakov Shnemasar. Yaakov has 12 sons, it starts to delineate the sons. So what does that have to do with anything? Yaakov understands in that moment, this is Rosalvechik, not Benny Freeman, Yaakov understands in that moment that Reuven is so upset that if he will say anything to Ruvain for what Ruvain did, he'll lose him. Yaak, Rashi in the, quotes the Menders that goes so far as to say that Ruvain will, will run to the camp of Asaph. That's a difficult idea that Ruvain at Tzadik would run to the camp of Asaph, but that's not our topic. So Yaakov doesn't say anything. And because Yaakov doesn't say anything, that's why the 12 children study, Yaakov knows when to be silent. <coughs> What's the third example of Yaakov being silent? Pardon? He knows to be silent. He knows to be silent. What's the third example of Yaakov being silent? When Yosef has a dream. Ve'aviv shamar et adavar. He knows how to take an idea and hang on to it. That is, that is the energy of Yitzchak. How is he the energy of Yaakov, of, of, of Avram? So that's pretty obvious. He fights Esav. He tricks Lavan. He puts on the hands of Esav and goes out into the world. So Yaakov is the synthesis of Avram and Yitzchak. And the Jewish people cannot be born just with Avram. Avram has one son. There's no Jewish people yet. And it cannot be born just with the Avodah of Yitzchak. There's still one boy. Right? Because Esau leaves the fold. It has to be born from the synthesis of Avram and Yitzchak. Now on a deeper level, Kedusha is understanding that Hashem is beyond us. Right? We see a world with the Kol Yaakov and the Yedei Esau. We see a world with the chesed of Avraham and the gvura of the avod of Yitzchak. We see the Israeli army fighting. We see Hamas doing horrendous things. And we look at these as two separate events. But in the world of Akash Baruch Hu, they're all one. It's all, part of a, it's, all part of, it's all part of what's meant to be. And it's very hard for us to get our head around that. But that's what Kedusha is. Kedusha is I take things to a level beyond me. I'm attempting to reach out to the divine, but you can never get there. You can't, you can't, you can't finish connecting to Hashem because only Hashem can finish connecting to Hashem. So I'm not ready to even think about Kedusha until I've been through Magin Avraham and the Gvur of Yitzchak. But now Kedusha, that's the sense of awe that even though I have to do my bit and know Hashem does his bit, it's really all one. When I do my bit, it's Hashem doing his bit. It's all one. 
That's Kedusha. Yes. Yeah, speak up. Yeah, that's all. Listen, the fact that there, are, that after the Holocaust, there are tens and tens of thousands of Jews sitting and learning Torah in Eretz Israel. That there's more Torah in Eretz Israel now than there has been at least since the time of the Beis Hamikdash. Of course, that's Yad Hashem, right? But you have to understand, you don't get to consider it Yad Hashem until you've been through Rav Minyitzak. In other words, it's Yad Hashem that I'm sitting here at age 60 after all the events I went through when friends that I had are lying six feet in the ground. But it's easy to think when you're in that process that that's because, I don't know, you ran fast enough or you ducked quickly enough or you were a good commander. It's not. It's because Hashem runs the world. Right? It is. Hashem runs the world when you get it right and Hashem runs the world when you get it wrong. But you can't go to that zone until you've done your bit. Because if you go to that zone too early, you don't, you're not at Kedusha before you consider Rav Minitzvah. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you said that uh, Yaakov didn't speak when Yosef had to be saved. But isn't there a time where he said something to Yosef about his dream? It's both. It's both. In other words, Yaakov becomes Yisrael, mm-hmm. but he... Listen, once Av- you know that Avram was originally called Avram, and then he na- gets named Avram, okay? Once he's named Avram, you don't call him Avram anymore. He never appears again as, Avra- as Avram. Sarai becomes Sarah. Once she becomes Sarah, she never reverts back to being Sarai. On the other hand, Yaakov, Lo Yaakov ki im Yisrael, ki The Malach, whatever that is, names Yisrael, right? And in the very next passage, he's called Yaakov again. So Yaakov is the only one who has both names. Yisrael is that you have struggled, Kisarita, Imanashim Vimelohim. You have struggled with God, you've struggled with men, and you have overcome. It's the struggle of Avram. But Yaakov is the Akev, is under the heel of Esav. That's the Yitzchak in him. And he is both. Now in our world, you're either named Yisrael or you're named Yaakov. You're doing different things. But in the world of Kashparchu, Yisrael and Yaakov Chadi. It's all one. Hamas, we have this idea that, I don't know, uh, what's a good example, that, um, that Avigdor Kalani is an agent of Akash Baruch Hu, and Hamas is, a, is, is an agent of wickedness. Right? And that's the only way we can look at the world, because we're not on that level. But you have to understand, Esav is as much a shliach of Akash Baruch Hu as Yaakov is. Hamas is just, they're just doing the will of Akash Baruch Hu. This is a Gemara. The Gemara says, E'efshi below bursi, below bursika. Right, below Bosem, below Bursi. Right? You can't have a world without Bosem, which is the perfumery, and Bursico, which is the, the tannery, which is disgusting. But me, woe to he who gets to be the Bursiki. They ashray me and praise to see who gets to be the Bosem. Right? And then it gives examples. One example is Samcherev. Right? Samcherev was from the word Khurban, he was the destroyer. He was Saragon, who was the general of Assyria, who exiles the ten, ten tribes, who was a butcher, who murdered thousands upon thousands of people, who is the reason that we have no tribal identities left. Like one of the reasons the Rambam Paskins in Hilchus Malachim, guys, guys, it's just, one of the reasons the Rambam Paskins in Hilchus Malachim, that, um, that you don't have a chiv anymore to destroy Amalek, halachically, is because Amalek doesn't exist anymore. 
you can't identify a Malik. You can identify the spirit of a Malik. You can't actually identify an Amalekite. Because Sancherif split up all the nations. Right? So the Gemara says, yeah, but understand, Sancherif was a tool of Akash Baruch Like, that was all part of Hashem's plan that we can't understand. Right? So that's Kedusha. That's to, to realize that Hashem is so far above and beyond. The unlimitedness that I look to connect to, right, resolves all the issues that I have in this world. Because, because, it's, it, because Hashem is the source of all Kedusha. Once I've gotten through these three brachot, and I have that in my head, now I'm ready to see what I want. Because now I know I'm not trying to change God's mind because Hashem is the Kadosh. Right? By the way, what's the difference between Atta Kadosh and Shimcha Kadosh? What does it mean, Shimcha Kadosh? Your name is Kadosh. What does that mean? If you're Kadosh, obviously your name is Kadosh, yeah? Hashem has so many different names that <coughs> highlight all different attributes. So. Well, then it would tell me all the different names. Why don't we just say, right? We say, by the way, it's an interesting question. Kel and Melech. We'll get to that too, yeah? Reputation of Hashem. But what does that mean? The way people perceive Hashem. Oh. So what is a shame? What does the word shame mean? I, I think we actually once mentioned this in one of these shirim. What is a shame? So there's a, there's a pardon? It's your identity. No, actually, it's not your identity. That's very interesting. Identity is much deeper than a shame. Right? So what, what is the shame? Pardon? What is the shame? What people call you. So the word shame, okay? Um, you know, the letter shin, there's a sefer that's ascribed to be from Rabbi Akiva. It's called the Sefer Aotiot, okay? The book of letters. And in the book of letters that's ascribed to Rabbi Akiva, it says that the letter shin represents chaos. It's three lines going everywhere. The letter mem, on the other hand, is the almost perfect circle of harmony. We spoke about this once, right? Mm-hmm. And, and therefore, shame is what allows me to sort of move from chaos to harmony. It's like, I don't know your name now. Cool, right? I don't know, but now that I know your name, I can create some level of order, right? Okay? So at the beginning of the year, I would say, pss, 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 and there's the, it's like, right? It's like chaos. But now I can say, Jano, or it's good, or whatever it is, right? So... But the risk with a name is, is, is that you think it's the identity. It's because I know your name, I know you. But that's not true. Just because I know your name doesn't mean I know you. In fact, it's the opposite. One of the names of Hashem you can't even pronounce. And that may well be to remind me that Hashem is so beyond me, I, can't, I have to remember I can't possibly understand it. So Shimcha is not the actuality of Hashem. It's our perception of Hashem. It's not just that you're above me, even my ability to perceive you is above me. And I know that my ability to perceive you is above me, and I know that you're above me, and I know that it's all beyond my comprehension. Now just think about this. This sounds like very airy, fluffy, nutter type of thing. But think about how valuable. Guys, listen. Either you're in or you're out. All this little like smiles, like it's distracting. But do a sheer here. If you can't listen to this year, go out of mind. Take it to you, get some air. Either you're in or you're not in, right? So, 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 what's the value of that idea? What's the value of the idea that Hashem is beyond me? Think about how valuable an idea that is. Think about it. You know, you're, 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 you're struggling with something real. I'm not talking about like you broke your toe. I'm talking about like something real in your life, you know. Uh, I don't know. You know somebody who was killed in the last three months. You went to visit a family and it's like overwhelming, their pain. You know, or 
I don't know, you made the Olympic team, and the night before you're supposed to go to the Olympics, you break your foot, and you're not going to the Olympics. And even though, to me, that's okay, so you don't go to the Olympics, but can you imagine how devastating this is for a person who trained for years and years? Overwhelming. But if you really know that Hashem is beyond you, then that's okay. Then it's just one more aspect of Hashem that I don't understand. And I really do believe that that's why some people were able to survive the Holocaust, right? And, and they, they stayed sane. They kept their relationship with Hashem. They didn't fill themselves with anger because Hashem runs the world. How valuable is that idea to make a part of your life, to practice feeling that experience and that thinking about that because all of us will have moments in our life that just seem overwhelming. And if that's a part of your life, they won't overwhelm you. Yeah. Pardon? I think it's just a difference of degree. You know, this person's struggling with that, and that person's struggling with this. You're looking at something which is painful and difficult, and you can't understand it. Right? And contemplating the Kedusha of Akash Baruch Hu is what allows you to get into the headspace. It, it places you in that final stage of awe that allows you to enter the world and do all the things you need to do and not be overwhelmed by them, yeah. This is a little off topic, but you mentioned earlier that uh, Rumble Silence uh, merited her, uh, the Bay of Gush in her territory. How, do, how does that exactly get determined? Pardon? How does that exactly, how does Chazal basically like, decide that? Oh, there are two possibilities for that sort of thing. One possibility is they actually have a tradition that comes with the Moshe night, And the other possibility is, no, that itself is an allegorical idea. In other words, what is, what, what is the symbolism of the base of Mikdash being in the portion of Benjamin have to do with, you know, Rachel's merit? It, it doesn't mean that, you know, God was sitting up there with a bunch of angels. Hey, did you catch that? You, got, you know, give it, a, give it a temple. Yeah, put it in there. Yeah, because the silent thing, you know, yeah, 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 I know we were going to give it to Ruvain, but he blew it, we're going to give it to her. <laughs> I don't think that's what it means. I think it yeah. means that there's <clears throat> midrashim or allegories upon allegories to give us deeper messages. You understand? But they're connected. <clears throat> cool? Yeah. Are we supposed to feel overwhelmed and find the ways to conquer that ourselves without just needing to believe in God? Aren't we supposed to feel overwhelmed and be able to conquer that ourselves? What does that mean to conquer? <laughs> what does what it? I don't know why they're laughing. They're just overwhelmed. What, what is. What is what, I'm serious. One second, one second. I'm just saying. One second, one second. The first part of the sentence is aren't we supposed to be overwhelmed? Yeah, like it's human to feel overwhelmed by certain things. Oh, that's what you mean. Okay, yeah, totally. And then it's up to us to deal with being overwhelmed. And how do you do that? But isn't reliance on God just a. <clears throat> you're not relying on God. You're admitting that God is beyond. Exactly. Yeah, but isn't that in itself... That's not relying on God. How? How's that not relying on God? It's kind of like... Um, <laughs> it's kind of like when does Emunah and... Uh, ignore them, they're children. It, it's like when does Emunah and Bitachon kick in? Right? So, you know, you... Um, I don't know, you're on the basketball team and the guy throws you the ball, right? And you're standing one end of the court and you're like... Let's find out if Hashem wants this ball to go in the basket. And you just stand at the other end. Now, I suppose you could be Rabbi Hanina and it could be a nay, and go in the basket. Chances are, it's not going in the basket. I, now that I'm done with that, I could say it was never meant to go in the basket. How do I know that? Because it didn't go in. Right? So, I can only have a munah 
when I've done my Ishtavos. Now that doesn't change what Hashem had planned. It just means Hashem puts me in the world and He wants me, Hashem wants me to have a meaningful life. And part of that meaningful life is living in the illusion that I make a difference. But once I'm done doing everything I can do to make a difference, then I have to remind myself that I don't really make a difference. Do you understand? (coughs) That tension, that seeming contradiction is actually healthy life. So, you know, for the type of, for a basketball game at the end of the day, it goes in, it doesn't go in, it's just a game. When you're running up a hill and they're shooting at you, right? If you have that idea in your head, you don't stop running. You're not meant to recognize that this world is an illusion. You're meant to live in that illusion and assume it's all up to you to get to the top of the hill. But in the back of your mind, you know, it's already decided whether you're going to make the top of the hill. So you do everything you can do. And now that I'm doing everything I can do, I can put myself in bigger hands. So not only does it change how I react to what happened, it actually changes how I experience in the moment. Because all of a sudden, when I'm in that moment, I'm not scared anymore. I'm not terrified. I'm not overwhelmed. Because Hashem has my back. That doesn't absolve me. Of, you know, it's like teaching your child to walk. You know you're not going to let your child fall. But he still has to learn to walk. But if he didn't learn to walk, you'd help him walk. Right? He's going to walk. It's only a question of how much work he does to walk and how much work you do. Okay? Yeah. Uh, you could just ask the question. So, <laughs> so if you agree that today is kind of conversation with Hashem, right? And the if you agree that today is kind of all conversation with Hashem. Right? Okay, we have to unpack that. When I when when I think of Tefillah as a conversation with Hashem, what does that mean? It means I'm having an internal dialogue, asking myself what Hashem really wants of me. And these are 13 things that Hashem wants of me. And the more I think about what I want within the context of that topic, right? Um, you know, and the more I think about whether Hashem wants me to want that. So I'm having a dialogue with myself, but it is a dialogue with Hashem, and it connects me to Hashem. It's not quite the same as somebody who says, I'm talking to God, can you hear me? No, okay, but sorry. Everybody, if you're saying that, yeah, you want to start a conversation with a name, but Hashem's name is like beyond your way. Right. Does that mean that you can't have this conversation at all? No, it means you can. It's just limited. My relationship with Hashem is light years beyond where it was when I was your age. But it's, it's a speck on the edge of my fingernail next to what you know, a person could, could reach. So do I know exactly where I am in the spectrum? No, and I don't really care. I know that I'm in a better place than I was even a year ago. And that takes work. And this one actually is part of that work. Make sense? Yeah. How do you know if you've done your style and that you've done all you can do? Because I could have a goal and think I have done everything, but there are also like terrible things that I could do to get to that goal. And obviously that's probably not what Hashem wants me to do. So it's an excellent question. How do you know when you've done your Ishtadlus? Um You can look at this from a simple perspective or a complex perspective. The simple perspective is... You do the best you can. And, you know, ask yourself when you're finished whether you could have done more. Great, right? That's one. Uh, the more complex is to struggle with that in terms of what you think Hashem really wants of you. By the way, very often in these instances, when you're doing more hishtadlus than you should be doing, what will end up happening? What will you be? 
You'll be off balance. And then what will happen? One of two things. Either you'll have a manifestation or a chacham will tell you. I'll give you an example. Let's say, if, if you say, one day I'm going to get married. Hashem has decided I'm going to get married. I'm going to stay here. And whoever it is is going to come into the room, I'm just going to live here and learn Torah all day. Right? So you're not really doing your shtavos. Now it is true, you don't know whether Hashem has planned for you to get married or not to get married. There are people who don't get married. So that may be Hashem's plan. So you're doing nothing to help it out. It's true that on the day you die, you weren't meant to get married or you weren't meant to get married. Right? You have to do your shtadlis. So let's say you do your shtadlis. You go out, right? And, you know, I don't know. You, you, you meet a Steiner girl, right? And, uh, and you really think that she's starting. And you ask her out, she agrees to go out. You know, you're learning Mishnahs on the first date, and the Sefta on the second date, and probably on the third date. And then she says, look, you know what? It's not for me. And I'm really sorry. And you're like devastated. And you come to talk to me and say, well, don't give up so quickly. Maybe she needs to be romanced. Walk by her, little Swasemis. You know, see how that goes, right? At what point do you stop your shtadlis? It starts getting creepy. How do you know it's creepy? I don't know. She hits you. She's a physical manifestation. Or a chacham will say to you, like you say, yeah, I've called her. Really? You've been calling her? Yeah, I called her 15 times late yesterday. The chacham will say, dude, you gotta let go. That's a siman. You've done your shtadlis. You understand? It's not a perfect system. But I think nine times out of ten, you know. Yeah. You know if it's your Yetzirah or if you're doing Yetzirah. I, I understand how you could base it on like your intuition and what feels right. But just saying, like, if I sit in the base all day and at the end of my life I don't get married, that was Hashem's plan because that's what happened. Versus if I stay in the base and then also try to go for a girl and I get married. That was also Hashem's plan. Right. Um, so, like, you could use it to, like, justify anything. Listen, I'm 60 years old. When I was 25, totally unexpectedly, I met this girl. She became my wife. I look back now and I say, I was meant to meet that girl. I was. I was meant to meet that girl. There were four human beings who were born and live in the world right now because I met that girl. And they have uh, five children who were meant to. It's a long journey, right? Okay. Now, that's not my job when I'm 24. It's not my job to figure out Hashem's plan. <coughs> It's my job to figure out what does Hashem want from me in that plan. Sometimes I get it right, sometimes I get it wrong. That ishtadlus is healthy. It's healthy for me, it's healthy for the world. The world becomes a better place when I struggle with that paradigm. <coughs> to the degree that you're aware of that, that tension and you struggle that struggle, you'll accomplish more in this world and the world will be better because of it and you'll fulfill your role as an Ebed Hashem. Is it a perfect plan? No. Could you get it wrong? Absolutely. But you'll for sure get it wrong if you don't even bother having that dialogue. Do you understand? That's all. But getting back to our point. So now I have three brachot. This is the introduction to Shona Esrei. It's designed to place me in a certain state of awe so that I contemplate the greatness of Hashem so I know that the, that the system I'm about to undertake is not about changing God's mind. It's about changing myself. It's about struggling with the things that I could want in this world, Right? to become a new Bini Friedman, to be a better Ever Hashem, and to do the things I'm meant to be doing. Does that make sense? Food for thought. By the way, in terms of Kel and Melech Neeman, Kel is the name that allows me to come close to Hashem. I'm developing my sense of awe. Melech, you're in total awe of the Melech. So when are we in total awe of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? During the Sersmi Tshuva. So in Sersmi Tshuva, you have a head start. You have a state of awe that's easier to get to. And that's why you change that word. That's one way of looking at why you change that word. So when I say I'm Melech HaKadosh, I, 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 
the level of awe that I want to achieve, the, the amount of time I'm focusing on that level of awe is greater during that period of time than at any other time during the year. That's just how it works. Food for thought? Okay, everybody, we're going to head upstairs for...